Hi, this is Tom from the editing room. Uh, we had a little bit of an issue with uh, topic one when we were recording this. So, you know, just sit tight. It'll all be fixed by topic two. Don't worry your pretty little heads about it. Have a good time with the episode. All right, bye. Welcome everybody to On the Clock, episode three. Hey, welcome. <laughs> Happy belated May Day. Yeah, we've just had May Day over the weekend. Uh, and today's episode is all about that shit. It's it's literally all about that. Like if you're if you're looking for any other content besides some good old lefty anarchist type Spooky. Like workers shit, spooky shit, earthy shit. Um, this the rock podcast for it right now. We're that's basically our drive. Yep, we're just gonna be talking about spooks and um flowers and communism. That's it. That's the podcast. And sex. Oh yeah, there is some. There's some good sex talk. Yeah, if you're if you're not into sexual content, I mean it's five seconds, but also just letting you know. Okay, well I mean hopefully the sexual content, like good sexual content, lasts more than five seconds. Oh my god! Shut up. All right, so topic uh, one, we're we're gonna be starting with Professor Meg. We're gonna go on the history of paganism Meg. and May Day. All right, ready? Okay. I'm ready. And start. Okay. So, we're going to talk about the origins of paganism in their, or not the origins of paganism, the origins of May Day and their pagan roots. Um, so, May Day is basically all about renewal, spring, and fertility, um, and pasturing. So a lot of what makes May Day um, a holiday um, is basically the concept of fertility and crops and how to make sure that the upcoming harvest grants you the most fertility for your crops um, and pasturing. So, you know, having good cattle and that kind of shit. Um, the Encyclopedia Britannica uh, defines uh, May Day, otherwise known as Beltane. Um, there's a couple different kinds of ways to say this. Uh, Beltane, um, for contributing pagan religions, has a couple different names. Um, paganism is kind of encompassing a polytheistic uh, approach, so there's there's many there's many deities. Um, in regards to pagan culture, and there's a bunch of different uh, religions that kind of encompass that, but it is a somewhat archaic word. Uh, I know that some people call themselves pagans nowadays as well. Um, sometimes people say Wiccan, sometimes people say witch, um, sometimes neo-paganism is uh, more relevant. I mean, the prevailing notion of paganism is based off of neo-pagan culture and Western society. Uh, but that's not really what it derived from. So it actually derives from the word peasant. Um, it was like kind of like the people's religion. 
um, before, you know, uh, Christianity and all that shit happened. <laughs> um, so we're basically talking about how this polytheistic culture handled spring and the kind of renewal of that. Um, so, like I said, the Encyclopedia Britannica um, has a different name for it. So Beltane is the Celtic um, word for it. Um, it's spelled a bunch of different ways. I'm telling you, like, pagan holidays, the spelling and the pronunciation always get every single time. It's like it was specifically designed to confound uh, English-speaking readers. Which, like... For real. They got, like, Samhain. Yeah. Knowing Gaelic, maybe they did just intentionally spell their words to fuck the Brits over. Which I'm all here for, honestly. <laughs> yeah, but it does... <laughs> It does make it difficult for people trying to study this shit and, like, talk about it. Yes. <laughs> I eat me. <laughs> but that's okay. Because, I mean, I like I like fucking with the British sometimes. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so, basically, I will get to the Encyclopedia Britannica definition. I swear to God. Um, or I swear to God. Get it? Because... Uh... Multi-deity, a. <laughs> um, so Beltane, um, also known as Sitaman, which I think is either a Gaelic or French pronunciation. I don't really know. Um, I'm also probably pronouncing it wrong. Um, so it's a festival held on the first day of May in Ireland and Scotland, celebrating the beginning of summer and open pasturing. Beltane is first mentioned in a glossary attributed to Cormac, Bishop of Cashel and King of Munster, uh, who was killed in 908. Um, he describes that cattle were driven between two bonfires um, as a magical means of protecting them from disease before they were led into the summer pastures, um, which is like a smoke, uh, a smoke ritual. It's kind of like a ritual blessing, um, which when I get into the different rituals, I'll explain a little bit more. Um, but basically it's, uh, it's a festival that includes like maypale or maypale, maypole dancing, um, cutting of green burrows, burrows, boughs. I'm not, I'm not mixing my words right here. Huh. Uh, and flowers. Um, and it's basically just, like I said earlier, a sign of fertility and pasturing. Um, there's a couple, a couple different cultures that celebrate them differently um which is kind of just really interesting because i really like how uh different religions and different cultures kind of celebrate the same situation and the same um holiday-esque type thing um in different ways uh contributing to their specific culture in society um so some of the different uh, festival activities were jumping the fire. Um, so you would jump the bonfire or you would um, run around the maypole. This might be very reminiscent to uh, the movie Midsummer to some of you. <laughs> uh, but Midsummer is a different holiday. It's not this. Um, yep. We did talk about Midsummer, I think, on episode one, right? Yeah, it's, it's a great movie. Um, and a lot of elements of Midsummer are similar to May Day, 
um, in yeah. part, but based not on real events. In origin. A hundred percent strict. It's yeah. a documentary, actually. <laughs> it's more of like film. a lot of elements. <laughs> a lot of elements in Midsummer, um, play off of May Day, um, but they're also in like the holiday midsummer it's just like you know there's flower crowns you run around the maypole um there's a may queen which i think having a may queen is more in line with midsummer if i remember correctly but i don't really know um i think it is um anyway so there are a bunch of different uh rituals that happen depending on the culture that you are celebrating with so Celtic origins involved sacrificing animals to the gods, um, cattle walking through a smoke blessing to gain crops in the coming years. So basically the bonfires that you would make um, as a sense of renewal um, would incur like the smoke and the cattle would basically just like walk between the bonfires and have the smoke as like a smoke blessing on them. Which is kind of neat. Um, Sacrificing the animals to the gods. Not as neat. I'm not I'm not too much of a fan of that one. Um Yeah, no. Try sacrificing Celtic. tofu instead. Smoked tofu for the <laughs> gods. Smoked tofu for the gods. You just pass tofu through bonfire. <laughs> uh they got Roman origins as well. Um, so they would have sacrifices and offerings to the gods of their home. So it differs a little bit for the Roman religion, um, the Roman pagan religion, uh, as opposed to the Celtic origin, because the Romans kind of had this idea that May Day was more attributed to the gods of the home and the gods of the village and like kind of like paying homage to, um, you know, the gods and the the homeowners um, and the lairds of the land, as opposed to, you know, which I mean, it's not, it's not too far apart to the Celtic religions, which is kind of like paying more homage to like uh, the natural element and like the, um, uh, like your crops specifically um, and like the prosperity of your land, um, which is like, it's a little bit different. This is more specific to, like, your home and, like, to your village. But, I mean, honestly, those are kind of, like, similar in how, like, you know, your home and your village back in the day was kind of similar to, like, how you were taking care of your land. So, I mean, it's all dependent on what you think. <laughs> I'm deconstructing my argument as I am saying it. It's, um, uh, and here's probably where we should add a sexual content warning. Um, you should probably have any little ones listening to our very family-friendly podcast out of the room in the future, whenever we mention Rome, because probably uh, we're going to talk about sex or I'm going to start swearing about them, so. It's either we're going to yell about the Romans or they're going to have some sex. Those goddamn Romans. The, those horny fucking <laughs> Romans. God damn it. Yeah, maybe have the kids leave now. If you had kids listening, I don't know why. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so another ritual that took place during May Day or Beltane was uh, Floralia, which is probably not pronounced right by me because uh, words are hard sometimes. Um, it's a fertility ritual. It's also known as the Festival of Flowers. Um, it's basically when um, a, an amalgamation of people, typically just like the people around the village, would just come together for three days um, for a like long-winded sexual exchange. Just like three days of full-on sex. We're all wearing flowers. So. Three days. That's fun. Three days. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like your 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 good old like neighborhood picnic, but also with a little bit of an orgy. God, I feel like I've said orgy like at least three times on this podcast. Like y'all are gonna think that I have orgies. I don't have orgies. I just say the word a lot. <laughs> but you know, it's fine. Um, uh, we're talking about the Romans here. <laughs> They had a lot of orgies, let me tell you. So yeah, the, the Floralia, uh, the Festival of Flowers, was basically um, a Roman kind of festival um, and ritual that they would do. Um, the Greeks, they had um, this specific holiday, um, or not specific holiday, I guess it was just like a specific attribution to like uh, Athena during this time. Um, and I, it's like, it's pronounced like, Plycinus or something like that. I cannot remember what it's called, but it was uh, a segment um, attributed to Athena specifically, um, which is nice. Um, it was not a like a highly um, celebrated event. I don't want to say like it's it like people celebrated it, but it was just not as like as um, as prominent. I would say, um, but it's worth mentioning. Um, Another thing worth mentioning is the Green Man. The um, Green Man. Yep, the Green Man. If you know uh, D&D, um, you'll know that basically the Green Man is depicted as Pan, um, which is just, you know, the thing. It's fine. That's, like, usually how people see him. Um, but... The Green Man is uh, kind of known as uh, another form of uh, Cernunnos, which I'm also pronouncing wrong. I'm so sorry, Celtic origins. I can't pronounce your words half the time. But um, it's based off of the Celtic god Cernunnos, who's basically the god of vegetation and fertility. Um, so it kind of goes in line with the whole point of May Day bringing forth fertility to your crops um he's actually funnily enough often seen in ancient cathedrals um even though like there there were bishops who were like actually pissed off that there's pagan depictions in their cathedral artwork like really yeah but i think it's very funny and a common theme and i love it i mean it pro it ties in a lot to like how those initial missionaries of Catholicism in the Anglo Isles kind of uh, translated the local mythology because they couldn't entirely stamp it out. They made it all about mortals so that it wouldn't be like no gods before, you know, the the one god. Yeah. That's um, 
that, yeah, that actually is... happens a lot in Irish mythology, but like it's probably why it's called uh, the Green Man and not like the Green God or something. Right, or by its true Celtic name. Right. Um. Cernunnos. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't say that name. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, those those are the kind of different origins to May Day. Um, May Day is still being celebrated to this day by pagans. Um, if you did not know, pagans are still around. They are, they are not Satanists. Please don't call them that. Um, I mean, are are some, are some of them Satanists? Are you sure? Some that are not. Oh, okay. See, okay. There's um, there's a thread of people who uh, who are say there's like two different forms of Satanism, one being like the belief in the power that you hold within yourself and having that, like that kind of like um, you don't really believe in a god but you believe in yourself and like the power that you hold, um, in the universe. So that's like one form of Satanism. I'm drastically reducing that to like a very minimal description. I'm sorry if you're a Satanist and you're not, you know, happy with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and then there are other forms of Satanism which do kind of attribute to um, actual like deities, but like I think more in the mainstream, there's not really a mainstream of Satanism, I guess. Uh, in the main subculture, <laughs> Satanism, I see it more in lines with the um, the former depiction, which is that mm. of like believing in oneself and the power that you hold, yeah. um, as opposed to even some sort of pagan deities. But I, I'm I'm distracting you. This isn't about Satan. This is about May Day. <laughs> <laughs> this is about the Green Man, Tom. Yes. Yeah. Um. So. Pagans nowadays can still celebrate and do still celebrate. This is actually still um, a festival that happens around the globe sometimes. Like, I know that a lot of um, Norwegian areas like Sweden, I think they still celebrate Midsummer in a festival kind of event. Um, not in the same, like, culty kind of way that you see in the movie. Don't be mean. It's not like that. Um, but I think that there are still, like, pejoratively, like, European areas that celebrate May Day, um, if I'm not mistaken, um, which kind of makes sense, um, because of its, like, mainly Celtic origins, uh. Well, I mean, I'm sure so there's a lot of places with, like, a spring festival. Well, that's what I mean. Like, I was saying earlier, like, there's a lot of different pagan cultures around the world yeah. that celebrate this in some form of a way. May Day, specifically speaking, um, is more of a Celtic holiday than it is much else. But, like, there's a bunch of different ways to celebrate, like, the coming of spring uh, all over the place. I'm sure there are. Um, I actually have a list of different deities activities and symbols um, that Ooh. are May Day or Beltane because I am a nerd and I keep track of all of the cool pagan holidays on a nifty little chart that has all of these things because I like it. <laughs> Lay them on us. 
<laughs> well, so May Day uh, spans from April 30th to May 1st. Um, just because it is past May Day does not mean that you cannot celebrate it. Do not think that. I celebrate a lot of pagan holidays late. I did when I was in college, too, because, like, college. Um, so, <laughs> like I said before, it's a celebration of fertility, uh, of life. Um, it's uh, also attributed to sexuality. Um, it's, it's basically just, like, new life and passion. And actually, um, I don't think I told you this, Tom, but, like, uh, a lot of weddings, you know how this is kind of seen as, like, the wedding season. Like, spring to summer is seen as, like, the wedding season. Yeah. Because of, like, like the good weather and stuff. Like, people like having outdoor weddings. Um, this is another um, attribution to May Day because uh, it's it's also um, attributed to weddings and unions. So uh, like, all those fertility rights getting, getting in there, getting all mixed up in there. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, it's 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 a talk about like, uh, or it's a topic of you know sexuality, and um, like sexuality. Not, I mean, I guess you could say sexuality in the um, identity sense, but also in like. Yeah, that's time. No, I have a list. Damn it! You gotta get to the list quicker. That's the, right. the whole. That's the whole thing. You That's what our po podcast is about. I had a little side note. I said, like, I ooh. That's all I said. <laughs> that was enough. Damn it. All right, well, all I'm just going to say is if you are interested in tarot, you can have specific tarot cards to Mayday, so you should look those up online. They're really cool. Okay, thanks. Bye. All right. That's it. On to the next one. Yeah, so that was the pagan history of May Day. Um, May Day also has a different sort of aspect that I don't know if it's if more people know it for this. I think most likely because this is yeah, a, I'd uh, say so. National holiday. It's celebrated in like Europe, uh, many other countries as. May Day or International Workers Day. Um, so with that, I think I'm going to start our 20-minute timer. Uh, so whoop, how whoop. this all started was on the day of May 1st, 1886, in Chicago. Uh, workers went on strike to demand an eight-hour workday, among many other concessions in the uh, sort of gilded age industrial era environment that the United States was in at the time. Um, at this uh, huge rally of like half a million workers, it, uh, someone, it's unknown who, um, set off a bomb in the Haymarket Square and uh, police opened fire on the strikers slash protesters, um, killing one and injuring several others. Uh, in the in the wake of this, the leaders of this movement were put on uh, essentially a show trial. There was a lot of like really open bias towards these defendants, who again were just leaders of like the strike and 
like there was very little that um, uh, connected any of these men to the to the riots. There was basically one piece of circumstantial evidence that maybe uh, connected one person through like a couple degrees of separation to the bomber. Um, but yeah, I mean, a couple of people weren't even there, right? Yeah, me- uh, many of them weren't even there. Um, the one person who they actually had any evidence on was known not to be the one who threw the bomb, um, but they, the prosecution alleged that he had uh, helped them construct the bomb. Um, but anyway, the, the judge was openly biased, saying that he was determined to have them all hanged. The jurors were all selected and all openly professed to be prejudiced against the defendants. Like, it was really just like a frickin' sham. Uh, of the, I think, eight people, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. That, that... Yeah, eight. Uh, there was... Most of them were put to death. Um, one of them committed suicide in prison. And two of them ended up in prison, and the, this trial was so infamously biased that only seven years later, the next governor of Illinois, uh, John Peter Algeld, would pardon them, uh, and they'd be released. You know, it's a little bit too little too late, but I guess that's something. Yeah. The rest of the world, um, you know, the civilized world, would declare May Day, May 1st, a commemoration of this and a celebration of workers' struggles around the globe. Uh, America, the United States, and also Canada, because they, they like to do the same thing we do some, sometimes. Um, America declared May 1st Loyalty Day, uh, a day to <laughs> like pledge your loyalty to the dystopian society that you are trapped in, whether you like it or not. Oh, God. Um, And then America also created the Labor Day uh, later in the year as um, effectively a controlled, like, safe holiday. It's just a long weekend. and Which, like, honestly, it it kind of, like, goes along with the idea of U.S. capitalism overstating this, because, like, what do you have nowadays for Labor Day uh, in September except for, like, long weekends and sales and, like, you know, you know, you get a long weekend, so your job's really not that bad, right? Right. It's controlled opposition, really. They, the American state desperately doesn't want to remind you of the eight uh, anarchist, socialist, community leaders that they murdered for their political beliefs uh, and they don't want you to know that these people are the reason that you have uh, an 8 hour work day, 40 hour work week they don't want you to realize these are the people these people are the reason you have weekends in the first place yeah they don't want to like actually give the true history on it they just want to make you think that this is something good that the government does for you and it's like no, they're they're really like misdirecting the entire efforts and strife that these people went through. Yeah, they're 
like, there's a lot of sort of leftist talking points on this subject, but it's like, the, they, they desperately want you to think that the only change can happen through the governmental system, and that you can't really uh, cause any change through mass action on your own. And they don't want to remind you that they're so afraid of people taking mass action to force change that they will have police gun down a crowd of protesters and they will execute the leaders of a normal workers movement. Yeah, it's it's absolute bullshit. And it's just like, it's it's crazy to think that there's like, I think over like 66 countries who celebrate like officially May Day, but America is one of the ones that it's rarely celebrated in, and it's where it originated. It's crazy. Like, people here don't even know about it a lot of the time. If they're not, like, in tune with leftist organizing, like, I actually, I literally, I kid you not, I had a, a meeting in my work last week. Uh, we, were, we were on the phone with one of the companies we work with who's from Germany. And they're like, so will you be uh, on the call on Friday? And he's like, uh, no, May 1st is a bank holiday, so uh, we won't be joining you. And yeah. my manager's like, oh, really? I had no idea. It's, it's fucking insane. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just Jesus Christ. Like, I, I can't stand, because, like, I don't like the concept of bank holidays in general, just because, like, I feel like they're just, like, a show, and it's really just, like, capitalism, like, changing your mind from, you know, you hating your work and, you know, putting in more hours and more effort than you are getting paid for. But, hey, the money that you're getting paid for, here, spend it on this long weekend sale, at these, like, government-mandated bank holidays where other people actually, like, retail workers still have to work. And it's like, we completely neglect the the working class on the day that it's most celebrated. <laughs> like, it should be most celebrated. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And, yeah, I mean, retail workers and service workers are a huge portion of the working class that often gets overlooked, and I think this may partially be the reason. Like, they don't get included by the systems as part of these holidays, so they get kind of ignored. That yeah, I mean, when I worked... as transitionary jobs when that's very much not the reality. When I worked at, uh, insert large uh, corporate coffee brand here, uh, we were told that there were no off days, like there were no holidays. We worked 306, we were open 365 days of the year, except for that one case when there was, you know, a, a bout of a racist manager in which they had to, you know, close for a day to do some specific training that was just a facade anyway, but whatever, that's a whole different story. But, you know, it's just <laughs> retail workers, especially right now, um, are getting like somewhat overlooked for their value. I see a lot of talk about how um, like healthcare workers are um, vitally important. And they, of course they are like they're vitally important to like helping people right now during the pandemic. 
but they're kind of not talking about how like grocery store clerks, um, retail workers in general, like people who are still like really non-essential workers, like grocery store clerks, I can understand, like pharmacy yeah. clerks, things like that, I can understand. But like, do you really need Old Navy open? Do you need fucking Starbucks open? Like, no, you don't. Like, there's definitely, like, a fucking Burger King open three blocks from our house, and it for sure should not be. Like, why are all these restaurants? It's it's stupid. And people aren't even getting hazard pay for this. Yeah, exactly. And I know um, we were going to mention it during our ad break a little bit more, but the fact that there is um, GenStrike, GenStrike.org, um, is helping organize uh, a Mayday strike. Um, well, I mean, it's it's been going on now because Mayday is now over, but um, you can you can still help their efforts <laughs> either mean, way. Yeah, GenStrike still has you know a lot of um, resources for learning about like organizing in your area where there's like a lot of maybe Amazon or Whole Foods workers that might be trying to organize something. Because Mayday might be over, but the coronavirus is still is still going, and people at these places still need help. Um, yeah. So yeah, GenStrike.org is still open. We'll mention it again uh, at the, the midpoint of the show. But, like, Mayday, their Mayday strike in general was, like, helping retail workers who were um, um, basically working during the pandemic. So, uh, specific places like Amazon... Um, Walmart, Target, this other, I don't, it's like quick, quick and save or something like that. It's not a shopping center that we have Instacart. here. I don't really know what it's called. What is Instacart. it? Instacart. Instacart. Okay. Of the okay. Ones. Well, yeah, like these, these specific places, like retail workers are still working. They're not getting hazard pay. They're not getting like any help whatsoever in, you know, keeping themselves safe. So a lot of um, the strike is basically just, you know, don't order from Amazon. Don't go to Walmart. Don't go to Target yeah. for like a day, a few days. Like a lot of what we say, I feel like all the time is just like, you know, try to have some like goodwill for your fellow workers and just because May Day is a holiday that acknowledges that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it every day. Yeah, a lot of these general strike sort of things they get called also get wrapped up as, into being like a, a boycott of sorts um, for a limited time, which, you know, it's, you could say a lot, there's a discussion we had about boycotts as an organizing tool, but like, it is kind of fun to see every time we organize one of these Amazon's profits go like way down for a day, haha line go down. Yeah, that that is nice. There's there's some there's some pros and cons to boycotts, yeah. but I it does it does help a bit, I think. Yeah, like cons uh not everyone can necessarily participate like if you need meds from Amazon or something, then you need to either plan ahead to buy them earlier so it doesn't really make a difference or something else along those lines, but uh, pros, it makes Jeff Bezos sad. So really, you should do it, do it if you at all can. <laughs> yeah, for real. Who doesn't want to make Jeff Bezos mad? Like, just just imagine like him frowning so so powerfully 
that his wrinkly bald forehead <laughs> turns downwards. <laughs> I mean, it might it might be hard for some people in other reasons in in the fact that like if you're like me and we were outside yes on May Day. And I was like, huh, I really want Burger King. And then Tom had to remind me that there was a strike going on. <laughs> I was like, shit, I forgot. <laughs> so we just like, yeah. we're like, all right, fine. We'll just eat at home. <laughs> we ran out of toilet paper too. So we're just like, well, shit, I guess we'll hold it in until May 2nd. <laughs> yeah, we we had the real <laughs> struggle, guys. This, is, this struggle is real. Validate us. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, it's. It's always good to help your fellow workers, and I think this holiday should be more recognized by people. I think it should be more yeah. in the mainstream, if not by the government, clearly, than by the actual workers. Yeah, and this is – the reason this isn't is there's – it's just not studied in American history. This period was rife with paranoia about uh, anarchists and socialists um, – coupled with a really huge movement of these people uh, in the streets of, like, most major cities in America, one of which gets talked about next section. It's just not really discussed academically in a lot of... Maybe not academically isn't the right word. In, like, the early American history classes that you take in, like, high school and earlier, this stuff just doesn't really get discussed in detail. They make it into, like, a footnote. And people just don't really know the history. Yeah, which, I mean, is like a lot of history that is important to know that's just not getting taught in schools, but, you know. Yeah. That's, that's a whole other issue. And I mean, once you really go into, like, the labor history of the United States, is you learn some, like, really crazy stuff. Like, this is only really one instance of political assassination when... It's happened, like, throughout American history. Yeah. Like, they assassinate and imprison, like, labor leaders, social justice leaders, trying to silence them any way possible. Um, and then uh, they either erase them from history or they, like, will wa whitewash them as, like, this peaceful, friendly figure, even if that's very much not what they were in real life. Which is just, like... It's so ironic, like, America will talk about how it's a free country, and the propaganda of supposedly non-free countries like uh, Russia, Venezuela, Iran, North Korea, not that those are good, like, places to live, but, like, America doesn't even need to cut off its internet because all it's just made its own people deeply uncurious about their own history and even less curious about other countries' histories. Yeah. There's just this mentality that's bred into us of, you know, God, I hate saying America first, but it's just like Western values and Western society um, and only like the interpretations that grandstate us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they definitely will lionize the parts of the history that they like. Like everybody knows fucking every major character in the American Revolution, right? But who's going to tell you who Samuel Gompers is? All he all he did was, you know, lead uh, one of the first major labor unions in the country and also run from president while being wrongfully imprisoned, or rightfully imprisoned, I don't remember, really. 
Uh, it doesn't matter. The dude ran for president from a jail cell. He's red. More people should know about him. <laughs> oh, I also wanted to add, um, I'm on the IWW website, um, and they have, you know, a little bit of information on May Day. Uh, and they have the this proclamation printed just before May Day, um, which appealed to working people that has a point that says the wage is the wage system is the only cause of the world's misery it is supported by the rich classes and to destroy it they must be either made to work or die and it's like in all caps and i just i love that energy <laughs> wait who is it's, it's who nice. must be made to work or die like the capitalists how are we going to do that they don't do the rich classes work. I mean, obviously, but it's just like they're either going to be made to work or die. Yeah, there's so many, like, whenever people talk about rent strikes or not paying rent because, like, you know, fucking over a third of people in this country have lost their job, um, they'll be like, oh, but how will I, a landlord, pay for the maintenance of all of these properties without your money? Like, I don't know. Maybe stop yeah. being so lazy. Get a job. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Hey, that's time. That's time. Fuck your landlords. Don't fuck your landlords. Just, you know, just don't pay rent. That was a fun segment. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Welcome to the, the shout-out, the segment in the middle of the podcast where we give um, ad space away for free to things that we like. Uh, yeah, basically. So yeah, genstrike.org. Um, we mentioned them in the previous segment. They've got a big sort of uh, list of ways you can help local workers, organizations, um, support strikes, organizations they have. Never cross the picket line. Um, it's all there. Go to genstrike.org. You can check out um, all that, all that good, good stuff. And I mean, even if you can't, like, help out or if you can't contribute, you can still share it. That would be really helpful. And like we said earlier, boycotting is also something that you could do. Um, it just requires you to not buy things. But, I mean, like we said earlier as well, sometimes yeah. it, it's difficult for others. So only do what you can. Like, I'm sure we've mentioned it, but uh, we are also vegans. And I have to say, activism through not doing something is definitely my favorite kind of acti activism. <laughs> just be like I don't want to go to the store today nope not doing it it's um, really easy to not do something unless it's like vital right yeah we, yeah basically <laughs> um, I wanted to also kind of um, I wanted to give a shout out to somebody now I can't remember who I was giving a shout out to Alright, I lost it. I might just tweet about it later. Never mind. Yeah, check the, the Twitter. What's the, the Twitter is on the clock TM, right? At on the clock TM. Yes, it is. We are on Twitter. Um, we're on Facebook. Um, please submit any topics you'd like us to discuss to either Twitter or Facebook. We'll answer either. And if you can, since we are on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean. Please uh, like and rate us if you can on iTunes. We would really, really appreciate it. That kind of just like gets our our name out there and, you know, it gets it gets us out to some more 
lefty friends, and we always want more of those. Yeah. You know? And remember, uh, kids, you can shout out yourself from time to time, but if you do it too much, you will go blind. I need you to leave. <laughs> leave the podcast. Hi, welcome back from the shout out. Building on the um, sort of labor history that we were talking about earlier, we'd like to jump into something that's more local to us. Um, I know this is a worldwide internet podcast, so I'm sure you're all very interested in what's going on in Wisconsin <laughs> 100 years ago. But um, I am, and <laughs> I'm going to yell at you about it. Don't touch the podcast dial. Why do you keep saying dial? Why is there a podcast dial? Because it's like... Do you do people turn a dial on their phone to turn the podcast? No, but on? they used to with like TVs, you know. Don't touch that dial. Don't change the channel. Sir, this is the year of our Lord, the Green Man, twenty twenty. I know it's a joke. It's a joke. This is a podcast. There's jokes. What was that? I dropped a thing. I'm sorry. Excuse me, dear listeners, for that strange sound bite. Did you just like? drop a glass on the floor no i think i just dropped a picture the wind knocks down everything and i think i just knocked something down with it uh, well anyway the top anywho <laughs> back to wisconsin which tom loves talking about it's going to be very contrary to the first episode of us talking about it yeah so unlike today's um neoconservative hellscape that is much of this, the area of this state many, many, over a century ago, uh, it was a much different situation. The Wisconsin population is largely made up of uh, German immigrants, and during the late 19th century to the early 20th century, uh, socialism and all different kinds of sort of radical political agendas were really gaining popularity. What is considered the start of this era of um, reform and progress in Wisconsin uh, was in, uh, I believe, 1895. There's uh, this guy named Robert M. La Follette uh, was a lawyer who was offered a bribe by a leading Republican politician at the time to fix a court case. Uh, he became furious about this, and he dedicated his political career to speaking out against uh, crooked politicians and business interests, and the whole sort of movement that sprung up in his footsteps was coined as Progressive Republicans, or Progressives for short. He was elected to Wisconsin governor in 1900, uh, which is a very round number, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, and some of the um, this this period is characterized by a number of like statewide reforms that are somewhat unique to Wisconsin. One of these is that uh, direct elections for state primaries. So instead of the hellish sort of delegate system that you see nowadays for like the DNC primary, um, Wisconsin state offices are directly democratic. There's a direct popular vote across the state with no um, delegates or any kind of smoky backroom dealings, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> no agendas here. No, I, I'm just commenting on history from a non-political, unbiased perspective. Um, they, 
Yeah. Like we always do. Of course. We're apolitical on this podcast. We're some political. <laughs> I'm a political something. Um, anyway, the, <laughs> this they also started uh, one of the nation's first workers' compensation programs through the state uh, and the first sort of state uh, progressive income tax. They broke up a lot of monopolies and passed bills to protect small businesses and small farmers across the state. And they also passed laws to limit work hours for children, which <laughs> I thought was kind of darkly funny. Oh! <laughs> okay. Like, I guess it's See? better than nothing, right? We can have our, our kids working less hours. That just... Yeah, is... you know. Oh. <laughs> less child labor, maybe. Which, you know, Wisconsin did it first. Probably the... The flashiest amendment that um, the, this era sort of produced was the, the Wisconsin recall, which still shows up in the news from time to time because it is still an active part of the state's constitution. Uh, the recall amendment essentially allows any state office holder to be recalled through a referendum and uh, at any point in the that term they can be recalled from office by by election. And, again, this applies to any state office holder, uh, elected or appointed. So even, like, the, the governor of Wisconsin very frequently gets recalled throughout history, but also even uh, officials as high as the Wisconsin Supreme Court can possibly be recalled. You know, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to anyone who's upset about how massively mishandled the state primary election was. Which, go back to episode oh, yes. one to learn more about that. It's the first thing I talk about. I get this show started off on a very dark note. And very aggressive. We were very aggressive. It's a very aggressive time. Yeah. I am wondering, though, the this kind of referendum, like, is, is Wisconsin the only state that does this? Um... So, as far as I know... Or was know, it just the first? I believe it was the first. As far as I know, it's the only. Um, I could double-check my notes in a sec. Yeah, because, like, that seems like a thing that should be established more. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the the unique democratic history of Wisconsin. Yeah, I'm not really seeing any references to other states that have it. I could be wrong, but I think it's a Wisconsin-only thing. That's that's really neat, though. I I kind of um I really appreciate the fact that they they allow for these politicians to be held like accountable even after they're elected. Like they can't just proclaim these policies that they want to uphold that they probably won't. And, you know, the people will, like, accept that. Like, no. Yeah. It's nice to know that, like, this state has a history rooted in progressivism that could be called upon. Especially when, as is the case with a lot of rural states, it gets kind of very conservative from time to time. Um, That's true. But yeah. And uh, in the, in the most uh, closest city to us, Milwaukee... Um, they actually had a, a further layer of this. Um, so Milwaukee 
socialism, uh, which was also called sewer socialism because it had a focus on cleaning up uh, low-income neighborhoods and factories, uh, was like a more this this different adjacent to the progressive movement, but a different belief that was kind of born from like the more urban uh, nature of it. Um, so the Milwaukee socialists were essentially uh, this group of democratic socialists, which if you've heard that before would don't know what it means um, due to a certain old uh, democratic primary candidate. Democratic socialism is essentially um, someone who believes in socialist principles of worker ownership of the means of production, but doesn't want to achieve them through violent revolution. They would uh, uh, attempt to achieve it through electoral politics. Um, so the, the Milwaukee socialists professed beliefs were that they wanted to essentially take all of the businesses within the city or even possibly the state and put them under the city council or the state's control and have them run uh, with all the appropriate sort of workers and uh, worker and citizen protections that you can't always rely on a private business to provide. Uh, and this actually became like relatively popular. Um, there was uh, two of the leading figures were a Victor Berger and a Daniel Hone, uh, who were open, self-professed socialists, who got, like, elected to, like, American offices. Daniel Hone was uh, mayor of Milwaukee, elected in 1910, and Victor Berger got elected as, like, a state congressperson. Which, can Dang. you imagine, like, today, if there were actual self-professed socialists in Congress? Like, not even, like, Bernie Sanders level, but I want to fucking nationalize businesses, socialists, in Congress. Yeah, that's just so fucking far stretched from where we are now. It's just, yeah. like, bipartisan to the level of, like, liberal conservative, not necessarily... Republican Democrat. Yeah, and everyone thinks, you know, whenever you think of, like, older American history, everyone thinks of a more sort of conservative time, because the furthest anyone can remember back is, like, the 1950s, but uh, if you dig further back than that, which, like, the 1950s was kind of a unique time produced by the Red Scare and post-war prosperity, if you go further than that, American history is often a lot more left than you may think it is. Which yeah, is and it's it's just something that I don't I don't think a lot of people understand. And I mean, it kind of goes back to the whole Mayday thing, where it's not really taught in history as much. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it just it doesn't get really taught. Uh, I think I mean I definitely recommend. Like, because they didn't teach us this in school, right? I think I definitely recommend all of our listeners go into, like, not just, like, broader political history of the, like, the past, but also, like, more local stuff. Like, what is, uh, what is your state known for? What kind of, you know, events in workers' history happened there? 
um, because it's, I find it very rewarding yeah, and I think, as a history geek. Yeah, which is very cute, but also, like, <laughs> just understanding, um, like, the, the political history of the state that you're in and the state that you vote in can help you understand what policies have been in place before, what policies generally get upheld um, through different elections, and like it can help you, it can help influence your decision making um, on who is really advocating for the necessary policies of your state in any upcoming election with local officials, which I think is is really important to keep you an informed voter. Yeah. So yeah, this era in Wisconsin progressivism uh, started 18 is generally thought to start 19 or 1895. Um, it took a pretty big hit with the start of World War One. Uh, like I said, a lot of this was uh, supported by these German immigrants who brought these kind of new radical beliefs, political beliefs that had been like developing in Europe to the Wisconsin. Um, obviously, with the break of war, with the outbreak of World War One, there was a lot of prejudice against German immigrants, particularly. Uh, so it kind of caused a dip in this, which it did recover a little bit after the end of the war with, like, the recall amendment, for instance, was uh, actually towards the end of this sort of era. Uh, but it is generally kind of considered to have petered out in the mid-20s, uh, during the Roaring Twenties, which is a real shame, because they really could have used a movement like that five years later when the depression started yeah i mean it makes a lot of sense when you think about it in hindsight yeah um actually yeah this uh the the la follette guy who's thought to have started this whole thing apparently he had like a presidential election bid which um a lot of historians think that he might have uh, lost because the outbreak of World War One was like during the campaign, and he had mm. so much support from the German immigrants here. I love this little history lesson. Yeah, well, I mean, I hope the the listeners like it because I don't intend to like stop. I'm I'm gonna get this nerd shit in your face. Yeah, he's gonna supply you with all of your historical needs. I'll supply you with all your, your little spook needs, um, probably boring literature needs. What exactly, like, these historical ramifications um, do to our politics today? Yeah, I mean, you can still see the recall uh, kind of in having an effect on our politics today um, a little towards, like, the sort of beginning of his career as governor, the uh, Scott Walker, the previous governor of Texas, was um, subject to a recall, although he did eventually um, survive the recall election, which surprisingly is the first time that's happened to a governor. Apparently, if they get recalled, usually they're already unpopular enough to be booted out. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah, even like since him, and I remember that that made like kind of national news. Since him, there have still also been like four or five other state representatives who have been recalled. Um, so 
you don't always hear about it, but it's like something that still very frequently happens. It's definitely still in play. Um, what else can we say about Wisconsin history? There's a lot of beer. There's a lot of beer. I did catch a little bit of like prohibition stuff. It was actually like obviously the prohibition in America was like very unpopular countrywide. It was actually so unpopular in Wisconsin that um, they passed a bill that uh, like allowed breweries to produce something called near beer, which was beer. What? It was just really weak beer. It was like 3% alcohol beer that they just would make because Wisconsin hated Prohibition that much that they just said, fuck it, we'll do it, but less. We'll just dilute it a little bit. Dang. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> oh my god. Which, um... And then obviously the brewery industry went back into full swing when Prohibition was lifted. Uh, Wisconsin would keep the drinking age at 18 after that for a very long time afterwards. It was up until like the, I believe, the 80s? I could, it could be the 90s. Um, when they would change it to 21 because the federal government uh, essentially just bribed any state that didn't have it to 21 uh, with federal grant money. Yeah, I think it was 90s. That makes sense. Hey, there's a timer. So, the fourth item that we're going to talk about is uh, guerrilla gardening, which a lot of you might not know what that is. Um, it seems it sounds a little odd, um, but you guerrilla gardening gorillas. is basically you plant gorillas. In the you ground. grow gorillas. <laughs> So guerrilla gardening is um, basically the act of uh, gardening in public areas, like public um, spaces, which technically you are not supposed to. <laughs> but it's it's basically an act of defiance um, and anarchism in a fairly uh, I don't want to say like benign, but like. Most anarchist acts are benign. Chill. It's a very chill way. It is chill. It is, it is very chill. Um, so the history of this is it's... Oh, God, more <laughs> history. It has its... It... <laughs> well, uh, you might want to know that uh, guerrilla gardening uh, took roots in oh New York oh in 1973. Oh he has to live with me. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so it took roots in uh, 1973 in New York. Um, artist Liz Christie, um, who was on the Lower East Side, assembled like neighbors and friends to basically um, clean out an abandoned lot um, on the corner of Bowery and Houston. Um, and they like basically reestablished a, a community garden of sorts there and now it's it's seen as a community garden so she took to um christy took to petitioning the city's 
Housing and Preservation Department to make their newly created garden, which they called the Bowery Garden, an official community garden. To this day, it remains and it's taken care of by the green gorillas and volunteers. So it's it's basically this really cool way of um, urban gardening, of um, advocating um, for restoration in public spaces that don't really get a lot of attention um, by like, you know, the county. So it's it's just a way for you to engage with your community and take care of the area that you have. Um, a lot of people will plant flowers and um, wildflowers that will grow in, um, you know, urban areas or will grow in the, um, the climate that you're in. Um, some people will grow vegetables in areas where there's uh, predominantly a lot of homeless people so that they could have food, um, which is also really nice. It's a little bit harder to do so in the cities, which is like a, a good portion of homeless population. But, you know, community gardens and things like that are really nice uh, efforts. Yeah. And uh, um, even though we're like kind of all locked inside due to Corona right now, it's uh, it's still, you know, like a nice way to get out and do something. It's easy to social distance while you're doing this. And the best part is that like no one can catch you. You're wearing a mask. And also, there's no one taking care of, like, a lot of, <laughs> like, empty lots right now. So no one will, like, mow over the, whatever you plant. Yeah. Like, if you look for areas that the, the grass is pretty high, like, it hasn't been mowed in a while, or if it's just, like, a dilapidated area that, um, that might need, like, might need some flowers. Like, we, um, I won't tell you where yeah, we went because, Probably, like, like dirt areas because, like, tall grass is going to be hard for anything to take root. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we, we participated in this. This is our May Day tradition. We just, we go out and we gorilla garden. Um, and it's, it's really fun. And I, I like gardening and I like keeping the community nice and, and pretty and, you know, little acts of anarchism. Yeah. <laughs> A very nice way you can do this is through a seed bomb. Um, so it it sounds funny and it's kind of like contributing sounds to the anarchist side of this. <laughs> it sounds super edgy. Like I talked about anarchism being associated with dynamite, which this is kind of like an ironic version of that. Yeah, basically. Um, so it is uh, basically like a, a component of like dirt. Um, sometimes potter's clay, uh, uh, caster, worm caster, it's like worm poop, um, and your like seeds, good dirt. and you kind of just like mix it all together into little balls, and it's a seed bomb. You just throw it places. Yeah, I think like last year we did this, we didn't do any seed bombs. We kind of just like got flowers and um, just like pre-done flowers, and we just planted them places. Which, I think we were kind of like scared off by the concept of seed bombs, like it was going to be harder than it is. But actually, we did it this year. We've we royally screwed it up. We they didn't hold together as bombs at all, but it was still way easier. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun to do. Um, I know that uh, I have a little fun fact. Some of the origins of the seed bombs from like 1973. Uh, that they used, they were the uh, quote-unquote green grenades. Um, 
uh, back then, they contained water, peat moss, fertilizer, and seeds encased in Christmas decorations and water balloons. <laughs> That's just wild to me. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you know when I first heard about seed bombs, I thought it was like they put a little explosive in there and it would like blow up and throw seeds everywhere. But like, no, it's just a clump of dirt that you throw around. Yeah, no. <laughs> and like, you know, so... obviously you can still plant like uh, other plants elsewhere. Where did we go? We went to, like, there was a couple, like, real empty lots next to the supermarket and uh, a gym that was closed Our down. Our gym and just some corporations that we don't like. Oh, yeah. Definitely did, like, a Metal Gear Solid mission where we waited for the security, like, turned the <laughs> camera, threw down some seed bomb mix, and then ran away. We're just such sneaky little rebels like that, obviously. It was actually pretty funny because we were, like, leaving the the lot to this company, and then immediately we ran into a stoplight, and we had to wait for the walk signal because we're not going to just cross the street when there's no walk signal. What am I, like, some kind of animal? <laughs> there's, there's a, a limit. limit. It's like, let's wait at the streetlight. <laughs> Oh God! We swear we're we're rebels. <laughs> um, but basically, um, guerrilla gardeners uh, carry out their action uh, either late at night, um, or I mean, we do it during the day because, like, you know, they we we watched a couple of videos on people guerrilla gardening when we were trying to figure out what the best um way to craft a seed bomb would be and it was just like these these really cool people who who were like gardening during the day and they're like engaging people in their community um like they there's like random kids were just like walking by and they're like what are you doing and they're like we're gardening and they're like oh that's cool and they're like yeah do you want to help you can help us plant this and they're like okay it's just like it's it's really cool to see people like engage in your community and like get people together and honestly like it's a tiny act of anarchism that kind of um, it can lead to um, a growth in ideals and like kind of yeah. understanding. Um, it's it's like leftist and anarchism. Um, it's it it creates a bridge in a way. Yeah, it does. It can like create a bridge for like people who are have like a sort of vague concern about the community, but no really political way to direct this energy and like introduce them to you and those ideas and it also has like real material benefits right so we mentioned before that you could like plant a food garden in like a low income area and then the residents can um if they have the time they can keep up that and that can be a good source of like fresh vegetables which a lot of people who live in like food deserts they don't get that um but also what we did we got a uh, a wildflower mix that was uh, feed for pollinators because like bees they're not doing so hot right now they're, they're struggling yeah. consider they're, the bees yeah they're struggling the bee economy is in the tank um, they've been dealing with the plague for much longer than we have uh, Ooh. yeah that got dark any, but we 
basically we've been planning we're talking about gardening tom we've been planning uh pollinator food flowers mixes so bees can <laughs> drink from those flowers and hopefully you know rebound a little bit yeah i think there's just there's a bunch of different benefits from gorilla gardening um that can like it's just like it's a very easy gateway to direct action that i think if people are left leaning and they don't really know if they can if they can if they can do an anarchism um, or if they can uh or if they understand like the um the the reasons for anarchism um i think it's it's really a, a nice way to kind of show them like no we like we just we you know we take the good of the community above the good of the government or above the good of the of the people in power like it's a nice way to show them like we care about the people around us like that the main effort of any political movement should be uh the good of the people yeah and I mean, i'm is... getting like way too no you're right like that's like the core of anarchism is like the whole like first and foremost is about filling in the gaps that state and capital leave open that uh working people suffer when they get caught there which i think is something that people kind of see and they can understand um for the most part when you start talking about like abolishing any sort of like government in general just because the community should be above all like <laughs> i think that's where people are like i don't know i don't know <laughs> but i mean you know kind of these small acts of anarchism i think kind of leads people to um understanding what we're really all about anyway yeah why abolish like before people are going to be on board with abolishing government first they need to be shown that they don't actually need it and for that the whole community needs to come together and help each other and provide all of the um the good the public goods that the government won't step in and do which is something that is particularly relevant during the corona pandemic yeah yeah exactly and i know that a lot of people um they use like compost or like previous waste to kind of contribute to this gorilla gardening so they'll they'll use like old recyclable materials to like kind of craft pots or something or they'll um they'll use old discarded garbage to kind of use as fertilizer um and it's just kind of a nice way to like help the planet as well <laughs> like it's just there's so much waste and you can contribute um a little bit better to society by using it in this way i have a hard fact if you want to hear a hard fact oh baby you know i love those rock hard facts <laughs> so as much as much as half of all of the food produced around the world equivalent to 2 2 tons ends up as waste every year so if you i mean this is me getting all like vegan like uh, environmentalist like on you but like if you can just like save that food <laughs> like but like through compost means and you can use it in such rad ways like gorilla gardening like that would be so sick or you could like you could save if you have like green onions a lot of the vegetables that you use you can like kind of save them 
and you can grow plants from them. Like you can grow more green onions by like having a green onion stem stay in water. Yeah. You can grow an onion from your onion. <laughs> this you can is make wild. onions out of onions. <laughs> like it's just it's insane. It's really cool and um to be able to do this and like create a community garden for people for it, I think that would be amazing and help people who who don't have food and have no access to food. Like Tom was saying with like a food desert. I think I, I think this would be a really good way to do that. Yeah. I don't know. I love guerrilla gardening. I mean, food security is definitely like a huge issue. Uh, and it's certainly like a, a large part of our politics, which is why I would like to have like a food garden, but there's not really a good place for us to do this. So we kind of just stick to scattering flowers in a few abandoned lots. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's nice. It's just like a matter of like, where can you maintain it? Which is another thing. We can monitor like wildflowers that are native to our like our area and like not really have to worry about them or like taking care of them. Uh, occasionally we can just like stop by and drop some uh, more plant food. So like worm caster or we just have specific uh, plant food. So you can yeah. do that. But you can also like, you know, if you if you want to have a more engaging way of like planting, you know, research the kind of vegetables that can grow in your area um, during the time of year you want to plant. And I mean, yeah, there are some plants that will just like sprout up. Like I think your mom was talking about like daffodils just like kind of sprouting up. Like she planted them like 30 years oh, ago yeah. in her um, in her mom's place. And they just and keep like. Growing. They're still there. They keep popping up. She planted like three or four uh, 30 years ago, and there's just like a bunch of them now everywhere. So like flowers like that, that could just like spring up wherever, I think is really rad to like kind of plant in places. Yeah, and that's part of the, um, some of the like advice that we got when we were, we were looking up like guerrilla gardening basics is like look up what, plants are native to your area because not only will they have a better chance of surviving under the conditions of your area but they will also not there's no risk of them becoming like invasive yeah and i mean also think about um what areas are being taken care of already so like if there's um gardeners uh taking care of like the the lot outside of a like your workplace or something like and it's getting landscaped regularly um a lot of the time that area is probably not going to be good to garden in just because you're one going to be creating more work for this this like this worker and two it's just you know yeah, that's, it's, it's just not gonna keep that's time but yeah i mean i would second that that's time if you see Freshly mowed grass, if you put flour there, it's going to get mowed over. It's going to get mowed. Yeah, so that's all yeah. four of the topics for today. So I guess that's the end of the podcast. Uh, I'll see you all next week. No, it's oh. not. Oh, fuck. No, it's not. I'm buzzing you with the lightning round. Did you feel the effect? I it's got, highly effective. I got buzzed. I'm electrocuted. My right leg is twitching. <laughs> 
We're one of the, we're one of those story podcasts now. We're getting real into it. Yeah, real evocative <laughs> energy. I I can't believe you've done this. Are you ready for our two minute segment, I sir? I strive to never be ready for this segment. That makes it more authentic. <laughs> yeah, All right, are you ready? All right, two minutes in three, two, one. Art projects. Art. Oh man. Can I talk about that art? capital A art? I'm literally sitting next to a pile of sketches and ink drawings that I was working on next night, <laughs> last night, as we record this. Yeah, I've been I've been into like watercolor and um, watercolor pencils specifically. I'm in love with they're so nice. Um, and Tom's always Tom's like an actual artist, so like. Yeah. He does actual not, art. Not. <laughs> he did like the graphic for our nah. podcast. Don't say yeah, yeah. You are. You have like a graphic novel coming it's like out. Shut up. Pages. It's hardly a novel. <laughs> well, it's a graphic art piece. So shut up. I like. I made a sketch of Harry Potter in fifth grade, and like classmates like that, and that's the only high art I have. <laughs> high art. Can can anything I do be called a high art? This is an interesting question. Um, yes. But yeah, I capital am, H, capital A. I I am very into like sketch, uh, pen drawing art, um, mostly pencil and pen work. I don't do a lot of like painting. Well, we have been doing painting, uh, Meg and I. We bought some painter supplies and we'll occasionally do like a landscape or um, like a... I like paint a lot, so he humors me. A figure, a figure piece. I normally work when I'm, on my, when I'm just on my own. I'll work with black and white pencil and pen stuff. Um, I work on a lot of comics. Uh, as she said, I, I'm going to be doing one. I'm wrapping up the, the artwork on one that's going to hopefully come out. Um, in like July or August. That's lightning round. And then I got, I got more work that I'll, I'm sure I'll be shouting out to you in the future, I hope. Yeah! We'll hopefully both be having more work to shout out in the future. Um, cause, you know, we, we are, are... Renaissance uh, people, which is a very, um, arrogant way people. of saying that we do a lot of things that we aren't actually that good at. Yes. Like... Tom is a great artist, but he won't say he is. I am a, a subpar writer, um, and she's you know she's a very we, good we, writer. <laughs> I like that. She's pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like I, uh, I'll hopefully be coming out with some stuff to like as well soon, but probably not as soon as him. Um, but yeah, we're creators. <laughs> Yeah, that's fucking a highly cursed term created by the modern internet, but, um, I, yeah, I guess we're creators, so this is two creators signing off. Signing off! Happy belated May Day, uh, again, yeah. um, um, just know. like, call in sick to work. Keep your workers safe. Or take a shit on your boss's desk. That's it. That's the the goodbye part of the podcast. That's Shit the on goodbye. Your boss's desk. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>